It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. David? Yes? Let's begin the biggest press box we've ever done with this emotional message from Fox News. We have some news from within our Fox family. Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have mutually agreed to part ways. Tucker's last show was this past Friday. Wow, you you can practically hear the teardrops falling onto the table in front of her. It was a very, let me stick to the contours of this statement delivery. (laughs) scripted almost huh might say that what do you make of this I mean Tucker Carlson out well um, I just checked online Brian Stetler took great pains to make it clear that Don Lemon was also uh, fired or uh, it will no longer I guess no he was fired by CNN today and those these two things Stetler assures us have nothing in common it's just a crazy coincidence. Uh, but to take the car, the Carlson one on its own, you know, it's impossible to separate this out from the Dominion verdict or the Dominion settlement, at least at this point. We might find out there's something totally separate going on. But Carlson certainly didn't seem to be thinking he was ending his show on Friday. He did have uh, pizza boxes strewn about his desk in the last segment, but I don't think that was any sort of, you know, school's out for summer, you know, pizza party. I think at this point, it's reasonable to assume that it's tied to the Dominion settlement, whether that be, it's it's harder for me to imagine that it's sort of like literally tied to it. Like this was some sort of like handshake deal that went along with the cash payment. It wasn't written, you know, it wasn't written into a deal and probably more likely to assume that Rupert Murdoch or whoever was, you know, having to deal with this you know, taking the point in dealing with this gigantic problem had probably come to the conclusion that there are a bunch of liabilities under on his payroll and, you know, was was just waiting until the settlement, waiting until the case was done before he actually didn't made any made any movement on it for fear that it would look like an admission of guilt if he fired him ahead of time. Right. I mean, is that a is that a reasonable reading of this? It might be, though. Uh, NPR's David Falkenflick, who knows about this stuff, says, read Tucker. It is likely that this has more to do with pending litigation. Abby Grossberg's lawsuit alleging sexism and harassment at Carlson's show. So there's also that possibility. Wow. I didn't even see that. Can we just spend a moment? In talking about not just that it's remarkable that Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News, but that it was remarkable Tucker Carlson was ever in at Fox News. Sure. That he, of all people, became the go-to star of that network. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we took the time machine today and went back 10 years and went up to Bill O'Reilly and say, Bill, someday you will be booted out of this network. And you will be replaced by a former magazine writer mm-hmm. who has. We all got to start somewhere. Come on. We all got to start somewhere who has no constituency other than editors of the late 90s and early 2000s, who's been a flop at two different cable networks. He's going to come in and he's not just going to become a star at Fox. He is going to take your blue collar, red meat, red America, tell it like it is corner. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. It would he would not believe us that that had happened. No, I mean I think this has been discussed to some degree throughout the entire reign of Tucker, but the current one. I don't think any other any of the other iterations would be considered a reign not in any quite real a reign. sense. Um, but there there was always a sort of sense that this was somebody who just sort of gamed the system, who sort of figured out, you know, someone who 
sat back and watched, you know, watched a couple episodes of whatever was on primetime TV, raking in all the ratings on Fox or whatever else and said, I could do that. I can like I can see I, I can see the big picture. I can make myself into that. You know, I mean, it's um, it, and in that, I mean, Tucker Carlson is a deplorable person for any number of reasons, but it, you know, it's clear that he's an intelligent guy. Um, I once heard a story about, uh, and I believe this is widely disseminated at this point about, uh, Todd Phillips who made the Joker movie was at the screening for, uh, what was the one he did with Jonah Hill where it was like, uh, they were selling arms or whatever. Anyway, he was at, he was at the, the premiere, I believe of one of his movies refuses to sit through his own films. So he left the theater and wandered into suicide squad and just was just, it was a packed house. And he was just like, this is nuts. This is this thing that people are, you know, the movies that are making billions of dollars. This is what people are lining up for. He's like, I'm going to go make one. And he went and he made Joker. You know, I mean, that was, of course, it's a different iteration. I mean, a totally different sort of superhero movie. But you kind of get that vibe about Tucker Carlson, you know? I mean, and and that's not to say that he's totally, that it's a total con job. He certainly believes a lot of the stuff he says, at least to the extent that a lot of the stuff that he says it would be impossible to wrench from the mouth of someone who didn't believe it to some extent, right? Uh, I don't think if someone, if, if if Erica handed you an ad read and it was the the average content of an episode of Tucker Carlson, I'm guessing you wouldn't finish it, you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't think I would start. <laughs> um, did, yeah, I mean, so he certainly believes a lot of this stuff. Doesn't particularly make it better or worse. I mean, your mileage may vary on that. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a smart guy who figured out this kind of, but what I was going to say is it doesn't really matter to the audience either, because the sort of reclamation project is sort of, is, has always been a calling card of Fox news. I mean, they have forgettable anchors who got drummed out of the places they worked before for various reasons. You know I mean? That's, that's sort of what they do. And it's the same thing in the, the conservative Hollywood quote unquote, you know, anyone that they can claim as one of their own is a big win. Now Tucker never framed himself as a reclamation project. I'm sure he would have said it was a pretty, straight line you can pick which direction you think it goes but yeah i mean it is listen regardless of all that his rise to the top of the totem pole was pretty unbelievable as you said um and i think what's going to be interesting is what happens next not so much for him but to what degree fox is you know he the next tucker carlson is going to fit right into the rubric of what's come before whether fox know I mean, Fox clearly is a star-making machine in terms of its eight and nine o'clock slots. The question, I guess, is whether or not they've become as tuned into it as Tucker Carlson was in the ways that sort of made him magical. You've brought me right to my instant think piece for today, which is this feels good for lots of people, for liberals, for people who think Fox News is poisoning America in many ways. It's a moment of karma, but at the end of the day, it won't matter because they will plug somebody else in there who will do a version of this act and will get great ratings because that's how it always works at Fox News. We all are sitting here waiting. It's, like, it's well, going to be a reckoning, right? It's going to be a re yes. finally Fox News. That was the whole Fox News lawsuit, Dominion Voting Systems, the lawsuit that was going to be the OJ trial for media reporters, and then all of a sudden it got called off because there was a settlement. Everybody said, well, there was going to be, it was going to be this reckoning. We're going to have Rupert Murdoch in there. We're going to have Tucker Carlson on the stand and all this stuff. And I don't think that was going to be a reckoning in either case. Even if the whole suit had proceeded, Fox lost this big verdict. I think it would just been like, okay, pay the money. You know, we've, we've, we've testified in court. Okay. We just spent, we just spent months reading everybody's emails. Thanks to all the discovery yeah. in that case, there's not going to be a reckoning per se. There might be a reckoning for Tucker Carlson. He winds up hosting a podcast or running for president or whatever he wants to do. But I just think there is this liberal desire for people to be held account in, in, in to account. Yes. Something to happen. But that's sort of, that's sort of a karmic ideal, right? I mean, I, I don't, I think that even like, you said it might have to do with impending litigation, with pending litigation. Um, so maybe that blows my whole theory out of the water or my presumption out of the water. But I do think that there's a, an element of this where it's just like 
you know, Fox is never going to let you see them sweat, right? I mean, they they would. I, I find it hard to believe they would have fired Tucker Carlson when the when like the text message logs came out, just to prove a point. They're going to fire him when they're good and ready to, you know, and they're going to and and they're certainly not going to fire him in the face of the Dominion lawsuit when it might be presu- be perceived as some sort of admission of guilt, right? Sure. Um, but at the end of the I, day, I Fox that, News I, rolls on no matter what. No, but the Fox, you're, that's the point. Fox News is going to roll on. And and I think, you know, the, the question, it, isn't it so hard to talk about Rupert Murdoch without just thinking of and hearing the voice of Brian Cox at yes. this point? Like I just. It is uh, impossible not um, to think that that is what is happening. One can Fox imagine. Yeah, one can imagine Logan Roy in this situation saying, you know, fuck them all. Especially on the heels of the Dominion, the Dominion settlement saying, you know, this is I did this. We're not going to let people sit around and and take my money anymore. So there's certainly whether or not there's a public reckoning, there certainly has to be a private reckoning, at least amongst the people that that matter over there saying, let's just do these five things to make sure we don't get sued again. And whether that means you're, we have to be honest or whether that means we're just going to frame every sentence the right way we're going to avoid these lawsuits and if there is a personality that seen that feel that has gotten too big for us to control then we're not going to mess with that anymore especially because going to your point everybody's replaceable so i find that fascinating about tucker carlson because on the one hand he is the figure of fox not leveling with its viewers in the dominion lawsuit mm-hmm. what did he say in that one message we read i hate trump passionately Mm-hmm. Something that none of his viewers would have ever been able to discern from his show. Sure. But at the same time, dude, he did that January 6th documentary. And here I'm making giant air quotes around the word documentary. Nobody is going to wind up in court because of that. Mm-hmm. That, in a way, is the Fox News sweet spot. Here's something that's not good, that's, that is actively bad, but <laughs> that does not contain any defamation that we know of. Yeah. So it goes by. So in a way, I mean, you know, I think he had figured out that rubric with this one very notable example of how do you get things through. By the way, do you see? Well, and I, I just want to say one more thing on on the subject because you raised it. The January sixth documentary is a really interesting one, and, and and it's hard to imagine anybody, you know, at Fox declining the opportunity to, you know, put Trump's reputation through the car wash or whatever. If that's if if, if you know if that's how you see it. The specific ways in which he did it, I think, might not will, would probably not have been. Well, I don't know if anybody else would have pursued the tape and gotten it all and dedicated so much energy to it. And certainly, the spin that he put on it, I think, is pretty singularly his. When you say there's going to be another one, yeah, there will be another primetime host of Fox, and there will be New York Times Magazine articles about how so and so took over the conservative TV world and blah blah blah. But there's no guarantee that uh, that the person that replaces Tucker Carlson is going to be as nationalistic as racist as activist in so many ways as he is now perhaps they, that'll be the case but it's just can we you know, get maybe some, it's just can me. we get a can we get a line here can, can we make some well, bets there despite it being a machine the hosts do bring their personality to it right I, sean I hannity agree. would not it was not is not the same person as tucker carlson bill o'reilly looks positively you know laid back compared to some of the people that followed him there um there will, you know, it remains to be seen whether or not this sort of really problematic nationalism, I mean, that's about the nicest way I could put it, is the is the is what Fox is gonna focus on moving forward, or whether it's just, you know, yelling about Biden. As you pointed out, this was not the only cable news ejector seat that was activated today. Don Lemon did his CNN show this morning, and then he tweeted this out. I was informed this morning by my agent that I have been terminated by CNN. I am stunned. After 17 years at CNN, I would have thought that someone in management would have had the decency to tell me directly. At no time was I ever given any indication that I would not be able to continue to do the work I have loved at the network. It is clear that there are some larger issues at play. Larger Issues is doing some interesting work there. One issue was Don Lemon going on his morning show. Of course, he used to be a primetime host at CNN Mm -hmm. and doing the whole Nikki Haley is not in her prime thing. Yeah. In which he started out like he was going to actually talk about 
the way we think of people and how we shouldn't, you know, judge people and then wound up just judging. blowing himself up and judging people. Yeah. Still one of the strangest moments I have ever seen. There have been a lot of strange moments with Don Lemon. We don't talk about him much on this show, although it does seem like for a long time it felt like he was sort of being uh, overly targeted. I'm, I'm I'm almost going into the the sports like underestimated, overestimated lingo, but it seemed like he was he was targeted by the right to just an like a, an unfathomable degree for mm-hmm. someone who was. I mean, he's a CNN anchor, you know, when he was hosting his night night show, his, his evening news show, he was much less, a, much more an anchor and much less a talking head. There, it wasn't, I don't, it, it all seemed to be a little bit imaginary, but then it seemed that the attention that was placed on him led him to sort of react a little bit, you know, to sort of up the stakes, to sort of fulfill what, what people were, were objecting to about him, about him. Um, not that he was particularly objectionable, but he definitely had a lot of moments. Even today, there was a clip floating around, um, where, which I guess was amongst his last segments, which seemed where he was talking to the producers out of his earpiece, and and his co-host Poppy Harlow was sort of reacting with discomfort. Um, it was there are a lot of odd moments. The fact that it happened on the same day as Tucker Carlson is just sort of impossible to process. Um, and it, it's so weird to try to, to try, I mean, they are not connected. I believe that, but to disentangle them mentally is really difficult. Can I do another instant think piece? Yeah, go for it. Donald Trump was not just a great unifier for Democrats. He was a great unifier for cable news talent. Mm-hmm. And as long as Don Lemon was seen as this anti-Trump anchor, or as he would probably put her, CNN would put it, somebody holding Donald Trump to account, right? Insisting on honesty, all that kind of stuff. People overlooked a whole bunch of stuff about him. Right. Because you would just turn on CNN and it would be like, oh, now it's Anderson Cooper's turn to go after him. Now it's now it's Chris Cuomo's turn. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Now it's Don Lemon's turn because Trump was the uniter there. And by the way, we could probably say it was a uniter for cable news talent on Fox News, too. Because everybody knew what the what the song was. Mm-hmm. And then you lurch into this post-Trump era. CNN tries to change what it's doing. It puts Don Lemon in the morning, which is, looks like a very, very strange decision now. And here we are. Yeah. Here we are. What do you think about... I mean, you... <laughs> You were fantasy booking a return of Crossfire not that long ago. <laughs> Was I doing that? Um, I don't know if Don Lemon is the, is the best choice to sit across from Tucker Carlson, but why not? I mean, I guess they're not on CNN if Don Lemon's gone. Yeah, what network what do you is think? this happening on? I guess it has to be. Or wait, where is this a where podcast? Is the, where is Chris Cuomo working now? <laughs> News Nation. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> I had to think about what that network is. I saw called. somebody in the comments of one of the tweets that I was looking at fantasy booking Elon Musk, who was who was interviewed by Tucker Carlson last. God, was that just Friday? Mm-hmm. And so, someone was fantasy booking Elon Musk, Elon Musk buying CNN and putting Tucker there in the primetime slot. Oh my God! Um, well, uh, what is it? I mean, we so you know you said what you what you think about the Fox machine, there will be another Tucker Carlson. But the thing we don't see that much is the people, the former Fox primetime hosts really succeeding outside of the Fox ecosystem. Megan Kelly. Yes. Um, obviously Bill O'Reilly is a pretty specific example. Um, Greta Van Susteren, Glenn Beck. Yeah. Much, much bigger within that ecosystem than they were I outside clicked of on something with Glenn Beck and I am getting Glenn Beck stuff in my news feed that I that is just <laughs> every day I'm just like you it's like some Glenn you won't believe what Glenn Beck did I'm just like oh my gosh did Glenn Beck die you know or whatever and it's every day I get sucked into it and it's like it's nothing it's a meaningless it's so terrifying um remember his liberal turn his brief like yes. level-headed moderate sorry. moment or whatever yeah 
man. I've and made his, a mistake. Remember when he sold jeans? Remember? <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to stop after this. He Remember he started a jeans company that was made, the denim was made and the jeans were crafted in America. It was called like 1776 jeans or something like that. Oh and if God. you went to the, the they, I think they only sold on Facebook. And if you were on Facebook, it was people saying, why don't you sell them in triple XL? This is not very American. <laughs> and also they were like $90 because they were made in America and people were complaining about that. Anyway. I totally blacked this out. This is amazing. This is a real thing that happened. Um, but Tucker Carlson is a big enough name, especially in the social media era, that he could show up on Rumble and probably still make a ton of money. But like, would he would would CNN not want to give him a show or not want to have a conversation about what a show would look like minus the racism? Boy, that's an interesting question. I don't think I don't think they go there. I don't think what if it's a, what if it's a, what if it's a crossfire situation? I like, I like minus the racism <laughs> that would be in the contract. Can we just can we just put some things down here in in this contract just to make sure we know we're, what we all are happy with here? I mean, they had Pat Buchanan on Crossfire for they a did. long time. They did. And that's now seen as like the glory times of Crossfire. Uh, politics not that different. I guess the polit- the politics in the general sense are significantly different. Now, yeah. Or at least what's socially acceptable on television. Um, but it does seem strange that, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe there's another reinvention in line for him, in store for him. But... Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe they wouldn't go that route, but but not as a crossfire thing, not as a talking head across somebody else who could balance it out. You don't think they'd be interested in those numbers? You don't think there's some craven studio head out there who's just like, yeah, why not? Yeah, I'd CNN at this point. I don't put anything past them in their very, very desperate and sweaty bid to reinvent themselves. But Tucker coming back to CNN is very, very hard to imagine. Also, what about what, by the way, what he, about like a Rush Limbaugh style spot on on Monday Night Football? Could we give? Oh my God! <laughs> the, There's a we, lot of opportunities out there. Wow, you really you're really fantasy booking the rest of Tucker no, the, Carlson's career. The best career. possible solution would be for MSNBC to come to the table, say we'll pay you double what Fox was paying you. Come back home to MSNBC, but you have to play a Rachel Maddow style liberal. You have to just oh. do the liberal routine. You see where the winds are going now, and you go that way. No, no, no. Just to prove how full of it you are, you have to come fully embrace that. And our audience will probably like it, too. Coming up on today's jam-packed show, you know how every sports radio host always says it's an amazing show, a huge show? This really is a huge show. Mm-hmm. This, this is the day Pressbox became president. Oh, man. It's unbelievable. ESPN, David, began layoffs today. BuzzFeed News shut down last week. We try to make sense of both. In this week in 2024, we revisit the week. The press began to think that Ron DeSantis maybe doesn't got it. Plus, David, there's a crisis in NBA announcing. We need a new word to use when someone gets punched in the midsection. (laughs) All that and more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Erica Cervantes here. So, meanwhile, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> well, apologies to the listeners. I thought that was the show. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize we had so much show left to go. <laughs> you thought we were done. Yeah. Call it a day. What a lot of us thought, David, would be the big media story today were the layoffs that began at ESPN. We've gotten mm-hmm. some details as the day has gone along here. ESPN, of course, Bob Iger announced way back in February, early February, there'd be 7,000 layoffs at Disney. ESPN was definitely gonna, going to be affected by those. Mm-hmm. That began today. Alex Sherman over at CNBC reports that this first round of layoffs will be fewer than 100 jobs. But here's the really horrible part. It's not just one round. There's going to be this round. There's going to be another round. Jimmy Bataro wrote in his memo today before the start of summer, he says. And then after that second round, they will start cutting on-air people. So ESPN people waited two months to see if they still had a job. Then they waited through today. Then they will apparently wait another few months to see if they're part of round two. 
and then on-air talent will continue to wait through some unspecified period after that. Mm-hmm. I saw one email. Was it, it was BuzzFeed News shutting down, which is a terrible story in its own right. But I saw. I I think it was that email from the CEO where it said, "If you're receiving this email, you're not affected by the changes." Um, which was a slightly different version of things that we've seen before. You know, there's obviously different emails that go out to different people, different notices. Um, but even that seems like uh, a measure of kindness compared to what you're describing, right? It's like, we're going to let a bunch of people go and send out emails and let everybody know. And, oh, by the way, if you're in section two or section three, your email is yet to come. Yeah, you're right? not safe. You just may not have been notified yet and could be notified at some time over the next few months. It's like getting an email saying you're not fired, but then also this email might have been sent in error. You know, like it's, it, that sounds, it's just ridiculous. The language of these things. I mean, Pataro's memo today said, we will have another wave of notifications, mm. notifications standing in for layoffs. Some stats for you, David. This is the sixth round of ESPN layoffs in the last decade. Six. They have, those layoffs have claimed 1,300 or so jobs. Plus, there's been a whole bunch of employees who've been let go because their contracts weren't renewed or left voluntarily or left semi-voluntarily or maybe just kind of became part-time employees like Pablo and Bamani have mm -hmm. recently. So that number isn't even reflected there. I was thinking this morning as I was trying to write about this is I found this old quote from Bino Cook. You remember Bino Cook, the old college football analyst on ESPN? Absolutely, yeah. He had this line where he said, ESPN is like your family. This is back in the 90s. It's there all the time. The networks are like your mother-in-law. They are there on weekends. Meaning that ESPN is this all-encompassing, friendly force in your life. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, I am amazed at how much that has flipped in 30 years. ESPN now feels like the opposite of that. Hmm. Remote. Yeah. Kind of forbidding. Increasingly part-time rather than all the time. And part of that is just the way the media's changed and the world's changed. We don't need clever sports center anchor giving us nightly highlights because we see those in different mm -hmm. places now. Um, but a lot of it too is the vision of the company, the layoffs to try to meet these numbers and pump up the stock price, the Jimmy Pataro era vision of the company, where instead of a ton of stars, you were just going to have a tiny handful of stars. Mm -hmm. So what just strikes me is how differently we think about ESPN after X many rounds of layoffs after enormous change it just feels like our interface with that company is increasingly different yeah i mean i think it's like what a lot of the news networks and what a lot of journalism in general is going through it's that it's it's the lack of necessity the perceived necessity of your product um and the lack of sort of rhythm of intake in daily life um you know there was a time where you and I would like go on vacation and be 5,000 miles from home and try and be game planning how to get the Sunday times, you know, like just to our, into our, into mm -hmm. our cabana or wherever the hell you were staying. Right. Yeah. That kind of stuff was just, you know, built into our lives. I mean, that's, and we're still talking about our generation, not even our parents who, you know, consumed a lot less media than we do, but probably watched the same, like two television programs every day. Well, three, Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, and the news, right? That was the um but that was it, the big three. The big three. But the but uh yeah, I mean to take it really specific I mean specific, more specifically to ESPN, um the diffusion of sports has played a huge difference, right? I mean, I, the one thing that they had going for them even in the earlier days, the earliest iterations of or not the earliest, but the earlier iterations of ESPN. When the biggest games were on network television, you know, the NFL football, NBA, most of NBA basketball, none of those channels were dedicating time to sports outside of those games. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So if you wanted anything, if you wanted to prepare yourself for Sunday football, if you wanted to prepare yourself for the big game, you would go to ESPN. Now, there are many channels that focus in even more minutely to whatever they want to talk about. And that's not even taken into account podcasts and, and you know, other v- web video content. So um, in a broader sense, anything like a place like ESPN is bound to professionalize over the years. You know, there was never. Even in the early days, it was they didn't just turn a camera on in the bullpen, even though it felt more like that than where we are now, you know. Um, and as places professionalize, sometimes they lose, you know, or they cede that gra- that bullpen ground to other places that are going to come along and do it in a younger, fresher, better way. Uh, so it's just you just, you know it just chips away from a million different directions. The best you can hope for is becoming the institution, mm-hmm. which they've done a pretty good cho- job of. The problem is there are a lot of people out there, a lot of in- a lot of other institutions out there willing to pay a lot more money to take away some of the things that make ESPN so special. Well, there's a couple levels there, right? Because ESPN at present has bigger games than it ever had. That new NFL contract, there can be two Super Bowls on ESPN, which would just mm-hmm. been unthinkable to the founders of the network. We got the Super Bowl? What? That's unbelievable. As opposed to, as you say, the network saying, hey, so Sunday football is happening somewhere else. We're going to barnacle ourselves to that mm-hmm. and just be the best and longest coverage, both before the game and then after the game with all those highlights when the network has signed off and sent you to local news. So that's part of it. The institution part is definitely right, and that was part of ESPN's success, right? We went from the bargain basement thing to the institution. But we could argue, and you and I were part of this, that even in the 2010s, when they were very institutional, very, very big, there Uh were all these entry points that seemed very friendly at ESPN. There Hmm. was a very, very interesting website that barely exists in the same form anymore. There was a magazine. There was Grantland. There was Dan Lebetard's television show. There was Mike Mm -hmm. and Mike in the morning, if that was your particular flavor of ice cream. There were all these places to get in where it didn't feel like the institution. Mm -hmm. It felt like the creative, happy thing. And I would argue that just because of attrition and, again, because of the way the media has changed, so many of those have gone away. And now whether you like ESPN or not kind of comes down to, do you like the three or four or five stars that have been promoted as the faces of the network? Yeah. Number one, Stephen A. And then you can go down the list. And if you just, those aren't your favorites. I always feel like, why are, why are you going to watch this stuff? What is your entry point going to be to ESPN as a company, whether mm-hmm. in pod form, streaming form, whatever it is. And I think that's an interesting question for them to answer again, just in terms of how we perceive the company going forward. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about is like sort of synergy, right? I mean, we're going to talk about this in a lot of different, we talk about this all the time in a lot of different ways, but part of ESPN's charm was having, was just it being like I said, the bullpen being a bunch of different things, all those different entry points you talked about all existing under one roof is sort of a light guiding hand, a sort of communal ethos or whatever. And there's certainly a, you know, business side argument to be made for, you know, what if, what if Greeny writes the magazine, you know, <laughs> like what, you know, what, what if we just do, what if everything kind of comes from the same handful of voices? What if we really streamline the operation? Um, it doesn't necessarily alienate people, alienate readers, viewers, whatever. Although that's the reaction that it gets in the time. And I think that sort of the fact that you can do that and you don't have a million people walk away probably feels like it validates some of those moves in the moment. It doesn't alienate, it doesn't necessarily alienate someone who is already used to watching ESPN and 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 values that. Um, even if you miss the old host, there's always going to be someone else next man up, just like on Fox News. But it does shrink the world. I mean, it 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 it, it, it increases the sort of footprint, but it sort of like shrinks the world. And uh, and I think that in the long run can be a real problem because you don't have any, any room to pivot. You don't have any room to evolve in the direction of success. You know, um, you can't pivot to video. 
you know, if or if, if you if you've axed half, you know, ninety percent of your video department and just given a camera to Stephen A. Smith, you know, like it's there, there's a there, there's just it limits what you can do and it limits where you can grow and it limits where you can find new talent that can take all those that can that can be the next face of the company, you know, or one of the next faces of the company. So I think it's a yeah, obviously. It's a business side. It's a business side investment strategy that that doesn't look like it's paid off in the long term. Yeah, and like I said, I think. Although part- I will say, although I will say, just sorry for the record, Disney deciding to slash seven thousand jobs. I think it's, it doesn't necessarily relate to this conversation we're having, and I don't think that. I mean, certainly, if ESPN were making ten times as much money, then they then there might be a different decree coming down from on high. But talking about business decisions, I mean, I just don't. I you know. Uh, this could be a, I, I don't, I don't know that it reflects specifically on ESPN in any way at all, other than they have X number of employees and there's X percentage of employees that Disney wants to cut down. I mean, it, it's a, it's a really sort of tragic situation that they find themselves in. Speaking of which Buzzfeed news shut down last week and you were texting me and I totally agree with you that this w- felt like it was hitting people hard on Twitter in a way maybe you and I did not expect or expect in quite that form? Yeah. I, um, obviously, whatever I'm seeing on my Twitter timeline now is a different algorithm than probably a lot of these, lay- when a lot of these previous layoffs took place. But it does seem to me that the sort of existential dread was much more poignant this time around. And I think that has to do with one, BuzzFeed being obviously entirely new media and not even you know, piggybacking off of legacy media. Um, it's sort of being an institution in new media, g- given its relatively short lifespan. Um, and, you know, the, the success it has, the influence it's had, the the number of people that have, that, that have, well, it's a big newsroom. So everybody has friends and colleagues and stuff that work there. There's a lot of reasons that go into it. But I think, you know, you, it's really hard to look at that and not, immediately think towards the fact that the parent company is investing so much in 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 computers to write stories you know right to have algorithms and 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 ai becoming writing stuff and and that being sort of the joke about buzzfeed for so long and now they shutter the newsroom i mean at least they're not trying to relay the news with ai but um but i that juxtaposition i think kind of creates a whole lot more like I said, existential dread than some of these previous layoffs have had because it's not just, oh, somebody made some bad decisions about money or this rich person has decided, you know, they want to do something different and we hate them. Now it's sort of about the future of the whole enterprise. That maybe we're all pivoting to something awful and post-journalistic or at least post-human in terms of the way we come up with these articles. Well, yeah. not just okay. I think, but I think it's actually more tangible than that, and less sort of two thousand one. I think it's more that my job is gone, and there are jobs being filled simultaneously by AI. Right? Like there is, there will not be another job. I saw somebody write on Twitter. I think it was on Twitter, and I apologize for not having it, that one of the craziest things about, one of the oddities of journalism is like every time you start over at a new job, you're really starting over. That except for a very select few people that kind of are noted feature writers or big names, it's like you go to work in a new newsroom and like no matter what your salary and your rank, you're kind of just sort of like starting from scratch a little bit. Yeah. And that is kind of inherently unsettling. Um there's a lot of people saying, I don't know, I'm not even quite sure where to apply. It doesn't help when you're on the, when you're out looking for jobs with a thousand other people all at once, you know, and that's to say nothing of the people that were looking before. But yeah, I think there was a lot of like, I literally don't, can't imagine where I'll be working next. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't imagine where job creation is going to come from in this sector. Yes, I can't imagine what the next, I can't imagine there's going to be another BuzzFeed news. I can't imagine there's going to be another I mean, whatever. I can't imagine there's going to be another Wonkette. I can't imagine there's going to be another The Ringer. I can't, you know what? I don't know what the next thing is going to be that would even like, that I should be holding out hope for, that I should accept 
a lesser job in wait for, you know, like I, I, it's, I think it's just a lot of really rational, but heartbreaking hopelessness. I think Buzzfeed news within that landscape you're talking about was a hopeful sign. Hey, sure. It's run by Ben Smith. It's turned out journalists like Ruby Kramer and Anne Helen Peterson and Joel Anderson and Charlie Warzel and all these people like, Oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's a place I'd like to work for. Yeah. That's a place that does some good stuff. They won a Pulitzer two years ago. And then, as you say, not only is that pathway closed, but so many of them have been closed that it yeah. begins to be this cumulative effect where you're just like, oh, my God, where where am I going to work again? Mm-hmm. What's going to what's going to happen? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Um, created 2011, too. So. We're also talking in time frames here, right? The 2010s, websites that were created in the 2010s that are still around that people would want to work for or see as destination jobs. That list has gotten really small. BuzzFeed News was one of the last remaining there. All right, David, coming up in 30 seconds. This week in 2024, or is Ron DeSantis' would-be campaign even less organized than Trump's? But first, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. This week's runners up uh, came last Thursday, David. And we had one of those very odd split screens on one Elon Musk removing blue check marks from Twitter <laughs> and on the other Musk's. SpaceX Starship rocket exploding in what SpaceX would call a rapid unscheduled disassembly. Some favorite lines uh, <laughs> confirmed SpaceX Starship did not pay the $8. Uh, oh no, my blue check mark had a rapid unscheduled disassembly. And uh, we would have also accepted Roman Roy watch- watching the video of the rocket blowing up in succession. By the way, if we had more time today, could we, we need to talk at some point about the blue check marks being given to people like LeBron James and Kara Swisher and them saying, I don't want this. Yeah. No, no, no. Please take this away. This is a terrible mark of shame. Yeah. <laughs> for me to be seen with this. Just unbelievable. Like one of the greatest product rollouts of our time. I've referenced this in so in in articles that I've written and on many podcasts before, but life is if if the life is paralleling any great book right now, it's the Sneeches by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Thanks to Adam Waltonbaugh, not Chester Lemon, Bobby Blue, and Tom Cooper for that one. But this week's overwhelming winner, David, suggesting Tucker Carlson will be replaced on Fox News by Logan Roy's assistant Carrie from Succession. <laughs> and with the Fox News Star System, it just might happen. It might happen. If you think HBO's slogan should be, it's not TV, it's real life. (laughs) Congrats, you made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. All right, in the notebook dump, David, let's do this week in 2024. There was really just one big story last week, and I don't mean RFK Jr. getting into the presidential race. I mean, it was the week that the media decided Florida Governor Ron DeSantis might be toast. One of our friends in the political media texted me and said, is someone just going to write it? Are we there? Are we just going to do the newspaper thing where we accumulate all the evidence and suggest it? Mm -hmm. Or is somebody going to walk out on that limb? We know he's outmaneuvered by Disney in Florida. There were the comments about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There was the abortion ban in Florida. The polls, NBC did their first national poll and he is behind 4631 to Donald Trump. But the real story was that Ron DeSantis does not seem to be good at relationships with other carbon-based life forms. And this particularly came to bear in the endorsements that Donald Trump was getting, which kind of functioned as anti-endorsements to DeSantis. Right. Do you see this one for it was Greg Stubbe, who was a representative from Florida? According to Playbook. Stubby remembers Trump calling him in the ICU to wish him well after he was injured in a January tree trimming accident. To this day, I have not heard from Governor DeSantis. There was that one. And it kept going. Uh, Vern Buchanan said that, according to the Washington Post, as another representative, Trump personally called Buchanan about an endorsement 
and invited him to have dinner Thursday night at Mar-a-Lago while DeSantis' outreach came through a pollster who advises him. Lance Gooden uh, was there when DeSantis met with congressional Republicans in Washington last Tuesday. He's a Republican from Texas. He said, this is such a good meeting that I am going to tweet out my Trump endorsement during the meeting. Like, I like this DeSantis guy, but I'm endorsing the other guy. And then it just sort of got comical. Ex-Representative David Trott tells Politico's playbook, I sat right next to DeSantis for two years on the Foreign Affairs Committee, and he never said a word to me. So we're about to get to the level of political grievance where it's like, I had DeSantis on my podcast, and he didn't retweet it. <laughs> oh man, really I'm never, I'm never going to be president. I'm, if, that, if that's the bar, I will never be running for higher office. <laughs> Listen, I think that that gets at not maybe the bigger problem with his candidacy, because that 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 well that as well. But I think the bigger problem with the sort of perception of his candidacy, which is something that I've sort of been saying all along, and not to pat myself on the back, but like he exists really. He like he's a really formidable candidate in the imagination of like a handful of people, you mm-hmm. know, and until you have to see him in real life. And it's not that he's just an incredibly bad candidate, but he's just a sort of incredibly like he's just not together. He's not he's in he's inept. He's he, he's missing so many of the things that are just such givens that they're actually easy to overlook in the offing, easy to overlook in the run up, you know, because it they come so naturally to so many people. Did you see do you have the clip? Of him, of the reporter asking him about his poll numbers compared to Trump's? I saw it today on Twitter, yeah. We we should play that because the tone of his voice is not... Before we were asking, has anybody heard his voice? We asked that a couple months ago. And the answer was largely no. But this isn't the normal tone of his voice. This was just a place that his voice went in a moment of irritation. And his eyes went even further. They bugged out of his head and looked up. And <laughs> it was just not the reaction of anyone that has ever that has ever thought about the 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 obligations that come with being a public figure mm-hmm. right i mean it's it's the, someone who's literally well that's not true it's obviously practiced a lot but the practice does like he has moments where the where the practice where where whatever the, the moment overrides the practice and and it's just sort of bizarre to watch for someone who's been given so much credit so much kind of preemptive potential awarded him um None of that stuff about his personality surprises me. And by the way, that's why the stuff about him, like uh, what him eating the Jello cup with his fingers or whatever, like pudding fingers. So, oh, sorry, pudding with his fingers. One, you know, you don't want to go too hard on that kind of stuff. But two, that was one of these things that just feels like a tip of an iceberg story. Got a lot. I got a lot of things out here that I that I'm like one inch away from being able to report. But I, one thing I have on the record is the pudding. <laughs> You don't necessarily you don't necessarily tell report the pudding the same way about every candidate, right? It's only when there's more pudding, when there's more snack packs waiting to be un, you know, peeled open. Um, I got this one they, solid, chief. I got the pudding scoop. Yeah, well, well still yeah, working so on some of those other here. big stories. No. But anyway, yeah, I I think that I, I don't know that he's done. Um I still think that he's got obviously a lot of um grassroots support. Mm-hmm. I think it's impossible and unwise to predict anything about the Republican Party's primary. And by the way, that goes Agreed. through very, very earliest question. I don't think any journalist or anybody is ready to write anybody off because they're more aware that we are all more aware than ever that we don't know what's going to happen. But do you know what they're uh, doing right now? They're they're forming impressions. This is This is campaign reporter forming impressions time. Mm-hmm. And they they're looking at DeSantis. They haven't heard him interact with the press very much. They don't know how he's going to fare as a national candidate, and they are making impressions. That's what people do. They're just like voters, and they're looking at this guy and is is this guy for real? Can this guy It'll affect beat the Donald way that Trump? he's covered subconsciously yes. or consciously? Absolutely. I think that, I think that all of this is a particular problem for Ron DeSantis because. The, the slot that he was filling was tr- like the refined MBA Trump, right? It, M, M yeah. as in masters, BA, I was gonna not say, basketball player. Did not realize. He's a, he's a Kevin Durant Trump. No, he's a, he's a refined like businessman Trump. And a Trump is a businessman, but his public persona is more of a cartoon. Um, MBA is a good word. That, that implies a level of 
slickness and well, and a sort of it is sort of irritating, irritating modernity too. I mean, it, but but it's um, but but I think that his public persona plays against the sort of persona he was trying or or he had constructed or he he had constructed for himself. He wanted. I don't even know how to phrase that, but. I think those two things are at odds, and that makes you a problematic candidate more so than your than than some of the most problematic political and social positions that any candidate in America has ever had. I think that not I think that 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 not being sort of not living up to your own hype is is about as damnable as it gets. The they always say the most effective attack in politics is when you attack your opponent's strength rather than their weaknesses, mm-hmm. and if he is running as NBA Trump. I got everything locked down, buddy. I got everything mm-hmm. going here. I know what I'm doing. Unlike that guy who is falling prey to his own whims and his own, you know, rages and all this stuff. But I didn't call people to ask for their endorsement in my own home state when I was a representative from Florida for six years. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have any of that. You know, I didn't, and somebody was in the hospital, I didn't make that phone call or I farmed a phone call out to a pollster rather than do it myself and say, I need your endorsement. It's a tough one. Mm-hmm. And like I said, to be the biggest surprise is that Donald Trump's campaign, which is oddly being advised by Pat Summerall's daughter, boy, learned that learned a new one on that last week, <laughs> is somehow organized enough to do all this. Because if there's one thing I would never attribute to Donald Trump, it's organization. And yet they're just rolling out these endorsements one after another to embarrass DeSantis and problem solve. But like I said, none of this will be those polls. That guy from Florida's endorsement, that'll matter. Journalists are making, they are forming impressions right now. They are forming. And that will, as you said, exactly right, color the coverage of his candidacy Mm -hmm. from henceforth. But do you want to, you don't have any like Pat Summerall impressions queued up here for to describe the Republican primary campaigns? I mostly do, um, I mostly do video game Pat, I think. (laughs) But I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Uh, there was one time where Madden Gilbert Brown, remember that old big old defensive tackle Gilbert Brown? Yeah, of course. Landed, uh, you know, landed on somebody, and you know, John Madden. You can you imagine Gilbert Brown landed on you. Imagine being that guy, and and Summerall just goes, "Imagine being the ground." <laughs> Love Pat Summerall. <laughs> By the way, in other news, and this is a parenthetical to this segment, very much on purpose. Joe Biden is supposed to announce he's running for re-election tomorrow. Oh, my God. With a video. Okay. Joe Biden running for president, we think. Uh, last <laughs> one for you, David. Wait, if it's a it's a pre-taped video, like we know this because yes. it already exists? It has already or... been. It was taped in Delaware. Yes. Over the last week. You know what they should really do is they should retape it since every, if everybody knows that and have him predict Tucker Carlson's firing <laughs> and Don Lemon's firing. Like, Just uh, talking off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, it's like a podcast how it's edited so we all look smarter when it's over yeah that would be really great let me take that definitely... one more time Joe Biden says let me just let me just take that one more time uh, last topic for you David I don't know if you're watching Saturday's Lakers Grizzlies game but Dylan Brooks who'd been talking a significant amount of trash oh. about LeBron James went ahead and hit LeBron in the well you know mm-hmm. here's how announcer Mark Jones handled that moment on ESPN the ball to the Lakers. There's a look at it. Brooks on the reach, connecting with LeBron's midsection. So it struck me after watching a weekend of basketball that we need some agreed upon term to talk about (laughs) this very delicate matter. Oh my gosh. As the father of a teenage boy, um, for whom this is a, you know, regular topic of conversation. And let me just say, this is a very difficult, this is a very difficult thing to, well, to parse. No matter how, no matter how vague or clean you try to be on the subject, it always comes out sounding dirtier than the thing you avoided (laughs) saying. If you abbreviate a term, it gets gross. If you say the most antiseptic thing you can think of, I mean... Literally, this happened to him at a soccer game yesterday, and you're trying to conv- con- like confer to other adults what's going on, and you-, you hear things like, 
he got hit with the ball in his region. And region sounds so much grosser than anything a 14-year-old could come up with in the locker room, right? When it said that, it is impossible. But I agree with you because none of the terms that we have are functional. I was listening to one basketball podcast about this yesterday. I think it might have been the Hoop Collective. And they were, and somebody talked about whether or not someone got kicked in the groin and it became a debate because one of the person was using groin euphemistically and the other person was not, right? Mm. It's like, no, he did get kicked in the groin, but he did not get kicked in the balls. But they did, but the other person was like, yes, that's what I mean. You know, like it was, uh, it, it becomes a huge problem. That uh, referee, Kane Fitzgerald, his name is Kane, mm-hmm. which always just makes me smile that they've been bringing on to explain it. He had a couple of groin drops when he was trying. Well, it's clearly a shot in the groin, he kept saying, mm-hmm. which made me laugh. Uh, game three, David, of the Sixers net series this weekend, Joel Embiid gave a little upward kick to the Nets. Nick Claxton listened to Turner's Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller do their best to describe this foul. Hard to tell there. There's the finish. And there's the stare down and the step over. Looked like one of the Rockettes with that kick. Like one of the Rockettes with that kick. Of course, same game. James Harden wound up getting below the belt on the Nets. Royce O'Neal. Here is Miller and Harlan one more time. And checking, steam clocking, shot clock winding down the third. And O'Neal is on Harden. James foul and a shot by. Harding, and they're going to take a look at this. A shot to the midsection of Royce O'Neal. So now we're back to midsection, which I feel like I've been listening to sportscasters use that term my whole life. Is that really what just, midsection means? No, I, I just think of getting hit in the stomach or whatever. Yeah. So again, we just need some, uh, we need some clarity here. We need a style when, when book. When I was a kid, and I believe that I've sourced this. I've, I've done, I, at one point I was researching this. I think in the early Grantland days. Uh, I think it was this specific to skater lingo, to, like skateboard lingo. Um, I was never a skateboarder, but but whenever someone got got hit in that region, we would you would say you got racked. And <laughs> I think it makes more sense when you're when it when the when the aggressor is an inanimate object. Right, I got racked when I was sliding down the banister or whatever. But there was a great sort of simplicity and lack and lack of grossness to racked that I will that I always go back to it and and use the phrase without thinking about it a couple of times a year and always get just confused stares from everyone around me. There's no there's no mystery to me what that means. Yeah. And by the way, Kevin Harlan and Reggie Miller watched the James Harden replay. And they took one final shot at it. We may be getting closer here to some oh, words okay. we can all agree on. This is either going to be a technical foul on Harden or a flagrant one. That was clear where he got him, and they're going to look at it again. And point right there. Yep. Good call. The official was right on it as well. So boink or doink, I'm not sure which <laughs> of those he said. He's sort of wandering into... Madden world there. Mm-hmm. The, the, the doink was when you hit it off the uprights on a field goal. So what if we had just some sound and we know, you know, if it's like, oh, he doinked it, that means he missed the kick because it hit the uprights. So could we just come up with some kind of sound like that? Can we all know what happened? Just wondering <laughs> aloud. Announcers, get in touch. We need some clarity here. Now it's time for a feature where we always come out and say what we mean. It's time for David Shoemaker guesses the strain pun headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline about Clarence Thomas's entanglement with a Texas billionaire was quid pro crow. Very funny, though. I still struggle to say that. Today's headline, David, comes from Tyler Lasowski and Erhank. It's from an AP story that ran in HuffPost. I'll read you at the top here. Russia has been excluded from qualification for the men's Olympic basketball team in Paris next year. Basketball's international governing body, FIBA, said Tuesday. The decision was widely expected since FIBA has suspended Russia's teams from international play since shortly after the invasion of Ukraine last year. Okay, Russia cannot 
play basketball. They are saying no to the Russians. What was the AP and HuffPost strain pun headline? Um, nothing but yet. We're done. We're yeah. we're just done here. Yeah. Nothing but yet. That was that's a good one. A rare one for a rare, one. A rare swish from David Shoemaker. He was indeed nothing but yet. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. Everybody just slow down out there in media world now. We 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 got through it. D- don't do anything to Lawrence O'Donnell this afternoon. We we David yeah, and I MSNBC, just need a moment. You do not owe us a firing. We're not. You don't. It's not cool to be part of this crew. This doesn't have to be one for one. We will we will stew on that. I'm back later this week for press box final edition. Shoemaker and I return for more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. <laughs> <laughs>